episode 16 with Tom Richter. Where meditation meets daily life, this is the Meditation Freedom Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Meditation Freedom Podcast, a podcast all about figuring out why people meditate, why they continue to meditate, and how they bring that meditation practice into their daily lives. On this podcast, I interview both experienced teachers and practitioners, as well as practitioners who are a little bit newer to the practice, hopefully giving you some interesting different angles and views and insights into why people practice meditation and mindfulness and why they bring that into their daily lives. Well, today's interview is going to be with Tom Richter, who is a dedicated longtime Ashtanga Yoga, Pranayama, and meditation practitioner. He's a passionate teacher, both inspiring other yoga teachers and yoga businesses, and he also does life coaching. And in his personal life, he is a big whole food and healthy living enthusiast. He is based in Germany. And as a yoga teacher, he believes in the benefits of learning yoga through the Mysore style self-practice classes. So he encourages his students to develop their personal practice rooted in the Mysore tradition and yet incorporating their individual needs as well. A little bit about Tom's experience with Ashtanga yoga. He studied with a lot of senior yoga teachers, Ashtanga teachers, and his primary teacher is Paul Delagam, who also initiated him in the pranayama practices in the lineage of the Kaivalyana Dhamma Institute. And he currently leads traditional Mysore program and Ashtanga intensives at the Gaya Yoga School and Shala in Croatia, as well as at Phoenix Arising, which is also a school for yoga and consciousness practices in Dresden, Germany. And his partner, Sandra, also teaches yoga, and they both teach yoga retreats in India. Now, in terms of his coaching, he applies the principles of yoga as well as his experience in business and management. And I want to mention there's a kind of a natural break inside of this episode. And I put some bells that I recorded here in Anza Borrego with a sound healer. And I just figured it would be a a nice little break. So with that, let's get right into the interview with Tom Richter. Thank you so much, Tom, for joining me on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Siko. Pleasure to be here. Great. You do yoga and meditation. Tell me how yoga, how you got started with yoga and how yoga is a, a type of meditation for you. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was maybe around 10 years ago, a little bit over 10 years now, and I was in my mid-20s. And I was a student of management and economics and and engineering. Mm -hmm. So very rational kind of life, lots of mathematics. I was really digging that stuff. And so if you would have told me, oh, come to a meditation, I I wouldn't have been attracted to that at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, But luckily I had two brothers, and I still have two brothers, and they are older and kind of, you know, people to look up to and to get inspired by. And they they were both doing yoga. Uh, One was even already teaching back then. 
by now we are all three yoga teachers, which is kind wow. of yeah. a funny thing too. But uh, so they were doing the yoga and traveling through India and all of that stuff. And I was kind of watching that, not really feeling that I want to do the same. But then there were some changes in my life, you know, breakup in relationships and stuff like that. So I guess I was in a, it was a time that I was open to new things. And, and then my, one of my brothers, he started with Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga. It's a, it's a style of, uh, of yoga that is very dynamic. And, and he showed it to me. And he also showed me a video uh, of, or DVD of a, a very, um, like one of the most famous Ashtanga uh, teachers worldwide, David Swenson. And since it's a very dynamic yoga with, you know, handstands and jumping around, floating around even, you know, and uh, it, it looks very much like gymnastics. Uh, I was kind of, oh, that looks cool. I want to do that too. So I started doing that every day for a couple of weeks and what differs to gymnastics is that you breathe very deeply while doing it. So it does work very deeply mm -hmm. on your consciousness and, and creates a certain energizing effect that you wouldn't have in normal sports, I would suggest. And somehow that makes you go deeper and deeper. And then it's, I, you know, I, I read books, I practiced more, I got more and more into it. And yeah, and I guess that's that's how I opened up also to the more subtle aspects of yoga, like pranayama, the breath works, and and eventually meditation. I guess that's in short the story. And how does uh, how does the breath work in in that yoga? You know, it's like if I stand, I, I I do tai chi chuan, which makes it easier, I think, for me to let the breath sink. And I've done that for you know since I was a, a teenager. I still practice that every day because there are times where the breath doesn't want to just relax and sink, you know, like when you're in a tense situation or something. And, and I, you know, with, with yoga, you're sometimes standing upside down, right? So how do you let the breath yeah. sink all the way down to your, uh, to your, to your belly? Okay. Well, in Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga, it's, uh, three main elements that you have. Uh, it's the Vinyasa means breath aligned movement which basically means every movement is aligned to your inhalation or your exhalation. Usually all the upward movements follow the inhalation and all the downward movements and contracting movements follow the exhalation, mm. which means there's never a movement without breath happening. And the second aspect is uh, drishti, which means a gazing point. You always look in a certain way, either to your third eye, along your nose, towards your thumbs, whatever, you know. And then you have uh, bandhas, which means contracting of your pelvic floor, just kind of, I mean, I guess in Tai Chi you also do similar things just to keep the energy within instead of letting it out. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of follow those uh, three things and that creates a kind of moving meditation when I started you know or I guess if you teach somebody meditation you say you know just sit and don't think about anything that's kind of impossible for most of us that 
are living in the Western world. Mm -hmm. So you start maybe with saying, okay, maybe just follow your breath, you know, just, right. just put your attention on your breath. And even that, for most people, is like, oh, after five seconds, I think about the grocery shopping I have to do or, you know, what, whatever. Right. And that's very normal. You just keep coming yeah, back to your breath. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and in Ashtanga, Vinyasa Yoga, kind of you, you go even more steps before that because you, you relate everything to your body. You know, we, it's hard for us to connect to our thinking. Maybe it's easier to connect to the breath, but what is even more easy is the, uh, the body because, you know, with the body we are used to work the whole day. Right. So, so by moving the body, additionally to not just sitting, but moving the body, you have something to do. You have something to keep your attention with all the time. Yeah. Plus the breath, which kind of makes it sink deeper, the whole effect, and the gazing point that you have to follow. And that, those are already three things that if you keep them in mind, you're, you, you, you don't have any more capacity to think about yeah, exactly. whatever. It's keeping you plenty busy. Yeah. Exactly, and that—that's the idea, and that creates this moving meditation. And uh, additionally, in Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga, you you always have the same sequence of of asanas of of postures, and not only the postures itself, but the way into and out of the postures is exactly laid out. Like there's no no left and right. You just do the same sequence ideally six days a week and and in that way it creates kind of um like you you have a set sequence uh, a mirror where you can kind of look into every day and see the changes you know like every morning you get up and some days you feel stiff some days you feel completely relaxed some days uh, it's all easy. Some days are tougher. Some days you're completely focused, and other days you constantly get thoughts in that you don't want. And so, because it's always the same, you always can have a reflection. Ah, yesterday that felt good. Today it doesn't. So in the end, it gets an ultimate uh, mirror for everything is changing, and you just have to accept that. You know. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a feedback mechanism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What changes have you noticed over the years internally from when you started? Good question. Very good question. Um, I guess I got a lot more calmer. I got calmer. I, I'm much more aware of what I'm doing from waking to going to bed. I'm much more in, in tune of my, uh, how I feel and what does me good and what does me not so good like in terms of I mean this whole practice of like I said the mirror of, of the practice I feel every day how I feel because if you just walk around there's a certain way you feel your body being in a good or not so good condition but if you fold yourself in a, in, in a pretzel position you definitely feel the difference. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you eat something that is not so well digested. The next morning you try to twist, you feel it. Yeah, yeah. So you get much more in touch with your body and, and its exactly. own uh, inherent wisdom. It's kind of like, that's similar to Tai Chi, where I remember too when I, was, uh, when I started it, that I started craving different foods, you know, more uh, wholesome uh -huh. foods like uh, fruits because it made me 
feel better. It was just feeling more right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. if, you, if you constantly do something else, like different asana sequences in yoga or also different sports, you always have something to kind of distract the attention of yourself. Well, if you always have the same thing, also, I mean, with meditation and sitting uh, practices, you, you really start to appreciate more detail. Mm -hmm. And you, you start to feel, because it's always the same, ah, okay, now I'm approaching that and that posture, which I'm always afraid to do, because maybe it's a headstand and I'm afraid to fall over, or it's an intense backbend and... And that always creates kind of an emotional, uh, yeah, distraction in the body and the mind, of course. So you get in tune with those feelings and when they come up and that then you can relate into your life where you see maybe you have a fight with your girlfriend or you have an argument with your boss or you, you notice how you react to certain people and what they say, and instead of just, um, yeah, just letting your emotions take over, mm -hmm. you 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 see the details. And ah, now the emotion is coming up, and now I kind of feel this and this happening, and now I want to react, and I just wanna kind of you know tell the other one Lash what, out. what a yeah. bad person that is, yeah, and uh, but you 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 notice it, and then you can stop it. And kind of go within yourself and say, ah, okay, I'm aware of that. And there's no sense of just reacting back. Let me, let me think about it first. Let me absorb the feeling first. Right, right. So there's a, a witnessing component to it. Yeah. You know? yeah, exactly. Witnessing is a good, that's a mm -hmm. good way to put it. Yeah. Is there other meditation parts to, to your particular yoga style? Uh, in Ashtanga uh, Vinyasa, yeah, uh, at the end, as in most yoga styles, I assume, as far as I know, you, you'd have Shavasana, which is the corpse pose. And on a pure physical level, after doing all this dynamic stuff, you lie down and let the body rest. You just take rest. But then you can also kind of feel the energy still moving in the body. You, you kind of shake up the energy through the dynamic movements with the breath, but then you lie down and you can still feel it. On a more spiritual level, it's, it's in a way also a little dying every day. You know, you, mm -hmm. you do your practice, then you lie down and your body kind of dissolves for a moment. You just, it's just being, you know, your consciousness is just there. And then, you know, you slowly start breathing deeper again and the consciousness goes into the whole body again and you, you kind of come back to life. In, in that sense, I also feel it very beneficial. And if you, you let go of your body every day, just for a moment. So that, that sounds like yeah. it helps you not over-identify with your body as being, you know, that's who you that's entirely who you, who you are just your body you know it sounds like it's letting you go letting that go a little bit too yeah i mean i it's it's hard to put those experiences into word but words but it it feels a little bit like 
there's a detachment from the body and you kind of feel the way you are without the body, even though you, you are still fully in it and you, you know you are still alive and all, and you're still you, but still you feel this kind of yeah de detachment. At, at least I, I feel that way. Mm -hmm. And it's also interesting in, in terms of like my, like my, my business and my, my professional life, all the good ideas come often during that corpse pose. It's like I'm letting go and then some, you could say some channel opens and ideas flow in. Oh, that's interesting, so, yeah. So now I often always put a piece of paper next to it. Yeah, when, right. so, so when I come back up after Shavasana, after corpse pose, I write down all the ideas that came. Mm -hmm. And was there a point in your yoga practice where you started really getting into like this the spiritual side of studying like patanjali sutra you know is that one of the yeah. you know one of the spiritual texts that, so that you you can take it a level deeper understanding of of yoga yeah i i mean already when i started the yoga at the beginning of course it was more the book uh, that i read the books about how to do the postures correctly and the anatomy and and then, you know, you slowly maybe read a book about pranayama, the, the breathing, the breath works. And, and then, you know, I, I went to some workshops and they told me about, um, they, they were you know, teaching about some spiritual aspects and mentioning books like Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. And then I went eventually to, to India and... And started reading all those books. I went to do some intensive workshops and some teacher trainings also in yoga. And there, there you know, all the mantra singing and the yeah, more, more technique on, on, on pranayama came in, more studying of Sanskrit and uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. And yeah, all those aspects then got more and more integrated, mm -hmm. which I wouldn't have ever guessed doing. 10 years ago, but, you know, slowly through the physical practice, it opened me up to, like, it opened me up mentally to also, yeah, see the other things. And, of course, there are also other books, for example, uh, Awaken the Mind, I think it's called. I forgot the author right now, but it talks about the brainwave patterns in general, but also related to meditation. So, you know, coming from 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 university and from engineering, those uh, kind of things that you could measure. Yeah, more scientific. Those, yeah. yeah, more scientific approach of putting those spiritual practices and the, their effects into something I could relate to, you know, something you can put in a graph. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just made it uh, open me up more to say, okay, well, that's something that I can explain to my rational mind yeah, uh, I, I already know how it feels from an experimental, uh, from my experience, but but now I can also explain it, and you know that makes it more digestible and also easier to be okay with it.
Okay, so uh, we were talking earlier about Patanjali a little bit, and maybe you can explain a little bit more how that works and how it relates to the asanas. Okay, great question. So Patanjali wrote the Yoga Sutras, and he mentioned the eight limbs of yoga, which is, which is in, in Sanskrit means Ashtanga Yoga. And he pretty much described those steps to reach Samadhi. Or as I heard it once, actually explained backwards, Samadhi is the, like, which means liberation or, you know, divine bliss, uh, is like the ultimate goal of yoga. Uh, the oneness? The oneness, yeah. I yeah. mean, I cannot really explain to you how it actually, actually is meant because I'm not in that state. So it's like asking a blind. Uh, but so, so let's say that's the, that oneness state that you want to get to. And to get there, uh, like what's the state just before that, that to, to uh, experience that oneness? And that state he calls meditation. So that's mm -hmm. the seventh limb. And how do you get into that state of meditation? Uh, you need concentration, like a super right. concentration on one spot. And that's the sixth limb. And how do you get into the state of concentration? Well, you need to get off this constant uh, distraction of the senses, you know, because the senses distract you to whatever is happening around you instead of going within. So the withdrawal of the senses uh, is the fifth limb, that fifth step. Mm -hmm. And uh, the attention goes always where, uh, where the breath goes. So the fourth limb is the control of the breath or the control of the prana, the subtle energy. Uh, because if you cannot kind of be with your breath and be like control it in a way, then you will always be unfocused and will always follow this kind of, yeah, with the senses. Right. So the so breath controls that fourth limb. And how can you control the breath? Well, you need to also have control over your body. And that's the third limb, which is like the asana, which means not only... Like, I mean, we usually refer to in yoga, to asana as the posture that we t take in, you know, like, tri uh, like headstand or handstand or, you know, uh, triangle pose or whatever. But posture in general just means, you know, like a, like a seat that is uh, stable yet comfortable. Mm -hmm. So if, your body, if you're not able to put your body in a, into a position that is stable yet comfortable, you cannot be with yourself. You cannot be like one-pointed, kind of. Right. And, and so that's the third limb. And then the second and first limb, I guess, are just kind of the foundation, which are the yamas and niyamas uh, in Sanskrit, uh, kind of the do's and don'ts. You, like the morality. Don't, the morality, don't steal, be truthful, uh, don't be violent, you know, be disciplined, be content. Uh, those are kind of the foundations. Without them, none of the other makes sense mm -hmm. after all. And so, but the interesting thing is uh, all those limbs you can practice at once. It's not a consecutive thing. You don't start with first being completely ethical, and then once you're ethical, you can start with 
with sports and, and asanas and posture. And then once you have achieved complete health, you can start with pranayama and control your breath. It doesn't, like, you don't have to perfect one step to go to the next. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in the Ashtanga Vinyasa practice that I was explaining before, the asana part is to make your body healthy to achieve asana, the third limb. The whole time uh, you're breathing really deeply, which is working on breath control and essentially prana control, like energy control. That's the first limb. At the same time, your uh, your trishti, your, your gazing point should always be directed at a uh, prescribed spot, like your, your thumbs or your, your upwards or wherever, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a concentration or withdrawal of the senses and putting them on one single spot thing. And when you do all, combine all those things, you, you create this meditation in movement, in a way. So you're constantly working on all these steps at once. And of course, at the same time, you should always be non-violent towards yourself. Don't do a posture that will hurt yourself, that will you know, make your knee pop out or whatever, which mm -hmm. sometimes happens to people if they're not very aware. You know. And uh, so, yeah, I... I I love this philosophical approach to, to the physical practice because then you really get deeply into the finer aspects of it. Right. And, and would you say that a lot of people get introduced to all the eight limbs by starting with the asana limb and because the other, eight li the other seven limbs kind of support the, the asana limb and the asana limb supports the other seven limbs? You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly like you said. Plus, uh, like I said at the beginning of the interview, we, we, we have a hard time focusing on the subtle if we, are not we don't have any relation to the subtle aspects of our life, like you know, spiritual things. If we live a normal life, we can relate to physical things, like our body. So just sitting and doing nothing and you know, focusing on the divine is like something that nobody, not, not many people can relate to, while okay, stand on a yoga mat and do some physical postures and breathe deep, then you slowly get introduced, introduced to those aspects without kind of needing to focus on them at once at the beginning. Right. So that's why most people start with asana practice. It says somewhere I read that this limb of yoga practice reattaches us to our body. So in a way, we've gotten removed or disassociated from our body and and our body ha contains a lot of wisdom you know like intuitive wisdom so by reattaching ourselves to our our body we get in touch with that our own innate wisdom right yeah that's uh, perfectly true and but also there there's this i i you know since i'm very much at home in the yoga world there's also this this opinion that now it's all about asanas and you know everybody puts a, a picture of them doing a certain asana a certain yoga pose on instagram and facebook and it's all have gotten about that so it's this great again polarity on the one hand we can connect to our true self through the body but if again if you get too attached to the body again then it becomes a counter counterproductive to our Path. Right. Yeah. So some folks get stuck in that part of the, the practice and they don't go deeper in a way yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So first, yes, like you said perfectly, uh, 
we should start a relationship with our body if it has been lost, mm -hmm. but don't get too attached to it on the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's great. In the Buddhist meditation practice, it's oftentimes a big problem that people spend too much time in their head. I know I was one of those people that was mostly uh -huh. in my head, and I was not. And luckily, you know, I had Tai Chi that connected me to my body as well. There's a risk when you're only in your head that you lose touch with your body and and the wisdom of the body too. So then you're you don't know when there's something wrong or how to deal with it an imbalance or a blockage in the body or. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly like you said. I think it also has a lot of, uh, it to do with uh, mixing up a state versus a technique. Like in a, in meditation for me is a state that, that you cannot just switch on. It happens. But for example, sitting and watching your breath or, you know, inhaling with one mantra and exhaling with a different mantra. You know, there are many techniques that you can use. Those are just techniques that kind of invite that state to happen. And, you know, too much being in our head or too much being attached to the asana, to the physical postures, is always kind of getting too much attached to the technique. Mm -hmm. And then the state doesn't happen anymore, the state that we want to invite. And you also teach yoga, right? Yes, yes. And, and what's that like? Maybe explain a little bit more about how people come to yoga. Well, I mean, I assume many people just have either a subtle longing for becoming more aware, but I guess that's not ne never the trigger to get to come to yoga. I guess yoga is always just interesting either because it's it's interesting from a physical point of view like oh it looks good or it must feel good you know everybody talks about how it feels good to do all those pretzel positions <laughs> uh, and and then there are those people that come because they have a back pain or yeah headaches or you know some issue where somebody told them maybe you should try yoga mm -hmm. or maybe they are just su super stressed out with their jobs and stuff and uh and yeah, and then they come and I guess everybody then has to find out if that's actually what they want to continue. And what I usually see is when people come just because, uh, like for example in Germany, in the, health, the health insurance usually pays you for, for a course of yoga once a year, which leads usually to people coming, getting that one course and then not coming back until the next year. Oh, and then there are people that actually have a, issue, let's say back pain, and they maybe feel that it's helping them, and then they, they continue doing that. And then, as I said, some people like myself open up to more things, and then they do some more workshops and like something that goes beyond the once a week yoga course. Mm -hmm. And other people say, well, that once a week is enough for me, and that's also fine. You know? And do you find that the folks that come back are they more likely to have also practiced on their own during the week instead of just once a week with the teacher in the class well the thing in ashtanga yoga is usually what you would you have is lead classes right like the teacher's in front and he tells you what to do next and then everybody does it and then the teacher says again something and then everybody does it and he corrects maybe a little and kind of gives general instructions to the yoga class in in ashtanga vinyasa yoga you have this, what is called Mysore style. 
And yeah, to explain it shortly, the idea is to come daily, six days a week. That's the traditional way. And the first day you're taught the first sun salutation. And you do that a couple of times and then you lie down in Shavasana. Then the second day you come back and you do sun salute A by yourself. If, the, if you don't know, if you don't remember, then the teacher will show you again, but then you try it by yourself. And then if you know it, then the teacher will show you sun salute B, like the second version. Mm -hmm. You try that a couple of times, first with the teacher, then alone. And by repeating, you, you know it. Then by the third day, you get the next pose and the next pose and the next pose. So after 30 days of doing that, first of all, you have a personal practice that you can take anywhere. That might just be 30 minutes, but it's a practice that you know how to do. Mm -hmm. The teacher can be with you exactly when you need him. It's kind of a private class when you need it, but you have a practice by yourself when you don't need the teacher at that moment which also helps you be with your breath much more. Because if the teacher tells the whole class, now inhale and lift your hands, exhale, fold forward, and he, he counts a little bit too fast for some and a little bit too slow for other people, nobody is really aligned with their natural breathing cycle. Right. While in this kind of class, you have to practice by yourself, you have to learn the sequence of the postures, but you can practice in your own rhythm with your breath and get attention of the teacher when you need it. And in that way, you advance through the series and you stop at a certain asana when you cannot do it. And then you work on it until you can do it and then you get the next posture. So it's, a, it's slowly building up and you can advance very far or if you're not so much into that, you don't advance. And in that kind of class, you might have one person that is super advanced, you know, putting both legs behind the head next to somebody who is just learning the first sun salute. And that's, that's a really nice setting. And I love to teach in that way because it also encourages self-responsibility. Uh, you, you, you have to be responsible for your own practice. Right. You cannot say, now the teacher will hopefully tell me what to do because I don't want to remember my own practice. Yeah, And if I hurt myself, I want to blame the teacher. No, it doesn't work that, like that, you know. Right. Like You do it the way you need to do it for yourself on that very day. So in, on a day that you don't feel so well, maybe you don't go as deep. On a day that you feel super strong, you do all full on, right? And the teacher can, of course, kind of carry you in a way, in, in supporting you and giving you advice and sharing his own experience but it's still your practice. And then you, when you travel, you can take your practice wherever you want. Like when I was still working in a, a consulting firm, I was mostly in hotel rooms and that's where I practiced, in a hotel room. Like no, where you, there's almost no space where you cannot find a place to put your yoga mat. Yeah. And so you don't have any excuse not to practice. And but, I, but I, you I love that. But you still have people who, who forget to do that part where where they're not practicing on their own and then they they don't uh, get as much benefit right and yeah the, yeah yeah i mean how i feel is if you if when i practice started practicing i didn't keep practicing because i thought it's cool it, I, I kept practicing because i felt really great mm -hmm. like 
it was not that I was, you know, like I, I cannot tell you exactly why I felt great, but there was something that I felt every day when I practiced, and when I didn't practice, I missed it. Right. Yeah. And and that kept me practicing. And of course, since there, it's this physical practice, and there are also kind of yeah, like handstands, headstands, you know, things that you kind of want to do, like your ego feels good when you do them because, oh, look at me, I can do it. So there's also this kind of motivation to keep practicing. And it's also that you learn very fast in this kind of yoga because of the dynamic and you sweat. So, you know, you're usually very warm. You build flexibility and strength very fast. So there's this motivation of, oh, wow, I can already do so much. And, oh, look at that. I can still not do that. So let's keep practicing. But I think the main part of that kept me on with this practice is the way I, I felt when I practiced. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I try to share with the people that come to practice. But I cannot tell them to practice. I can tell them that it's best to practice, like, let's say, at least four days a week. But if they don't practice, I can just say, okay, you know, then do, then don't, you know, but it's, it's up to you. Right. I can just invite them. Yeah. 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 And, and, uh, cause you mentioned, uh, that there's a progression, but there's also at the same time, there's no finish line. Right. So that brings you back to a, being a beginner in a way where you're always, it's always fresh and always, you know, there's not like a certificate at the end. So it helps to yeah. bring you back to the present. Yeah, it's a tricky, it's a tricky subject, let's say. One, one aspect of the Ashtanga practice that because it's so dynamic and so physical and looks kind of cool to, to watch is that people get attached to the practice. Like they, oh, I want to do this and I want to uh, progress faster and I want more asanas to practice. And in, in the Yoga Sutras, it says that, you know, you should practice with, with all your effort, but without attachment to, outcomes. to the fruits of your practice. Yeah. And in, in, Ashtanga, in Ashtanga Yoga, you have six series, and let's say 90% of the people I would suggest, or 80%, would never even finish the first sequence of six. And the second sequence is already so hard that I, I would say of those 90%, again, only a few percent will finish the second sequence. So there's only like maybe a couple of hundred people worldwide practicing this third sequence of hundreds of thousands of people practicing Ashtanga Vinyasa in general. And so, so I guess for me the idea is there's always a new asana that you can practice, that you can learn. So even if I, if I get the next one, there will be the next one that I still cannot do. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, you, you still have a reason to work on you, yourself, but you shouldn't be attached because you know after the next crossroad, there will be a next, the next path to keep walking, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I guess that's the... You know how you say that... You shouldn't be. You shouldn't attach your happiness to to a certain result because once you get there, you notice that actually it didn't make you super happy, and now you have to get to the next goal. Right. And and until you finally realize that walking the path is the 
that was the goal all along. That was the goal, and you have to find the happiness on the path instead right. of just at the goal. And I guess that's the perfect example for that in Ashtanga Yoga, uh, that you, there's always the next day asana. You just have to love every moment. Yeah, you have to love the moment, the right. present moment. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And would you have any advice for someone who's just starting with yoga, not get hung up on about, or, you know, just to relax and enjoy the, the process or? Hmm, let me think. Well, I would first say um, find a good teacher. That's super helpful because, I mean, of course, you can also just practice at home, but if you have a place to go to, at least once a week or twice a week, if uh, you know, just to to have somebody to show you the way, to to tell you, oh, you're trying too hard on this side, and you're trying too little on that that part. You know, just some some guidance is always great. At least at, at the beginning. And the second thing, just do it. You know, like don't worry about the benefits or. Uh, you know, don't worry in general, but you know, don't worry also about yoga. Just, just try it. Try it a couple of times, not just once. Try it consistently for for a certain period of time, not just like uh, once a week or once every two weeks. That then you don't really feel the benefits. Right. right. You might get a muscle fever, but <laughs> but then you know. <laughs> That muscle fever goes away if you do it two or three days. But if you do it once a week or every two weeks, you will get the muscle fever again and again. You know? huh. So I guess consistency and, and just doing it. I, I love this uh, quote of one of my teachers who said, before you practice, the theory is useless. After you have practiced, the theory is obvious. <laughs> you know? yeah. so, 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 so don't read books too much. Uh, just try it, experience it. And and go from there. I guess mm -hmm. that's my best advice. And how how have you found it in your daily life? Um, how can you bring that into your daily life? What you what you learn in in your yoga? Um, I guess I once I once I wrote an article about how how my yoga practice uh, is a rehearsal for my life. Mm -hmm real life and and one of the things I said there <clears throat> was uh, whatever happens just keep breathing so that's I guess one of the things <clears throat> that I always do is uh, throughout my whole life whenever I have a tough situation I just breathe for a moment I just come back to myself and I breathe and as super simple as that sounds, it's super powerful. Right. Uh, like no matter if you are in a traffic jam or you have a big workshop to teach or, you know, like a lecture in front of thousands of people or, you know, your first date or whatever it is, if you feel some unease within yourself, just keep breathing. Just just focus back on your breathing and and then go from there. Yeah. That's good advice. And, and I, I also love the idea, which I, I, I try to put into, uh, put into practice every day. There are three things in life. Uh, 
things that are your responsibility, things that are other people's responsibility, and things that are God's universe, uh, responsibility or whatever you want to call that, God or the universe's right. responsibility, right? Like if it's raining or if it's sunshine, that's God's responsibility, right? right. So don't get upset with the rain or the sunshine or whatever it is right now. Uh, and then there are things that are my responsibility, like what I do now and what I continue to do and things that other people do. And that's their responsibility. So as long as we care for our own responsibility and accept that other people, you know, take, uh, make their choices and that the weather is the way it is without my, with or without my being upset about it, then I think we can be much more happier. Right. And, um, and I guess part of that I took also from my yoga practice, you know, like if I practice my yoga in the morning, my responsibility is to show up and do my best that I can do. Right. But if my body feels stiff on that day or, you know, um, <clears throat> if the neighbor decides to, to do something that is getting in the way of my practice, that then there's no way for me to, to get upset about it. I can deal with it, but I have to look what I can do, what is in my responsibility to, to do, not... And somebody else's. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a good letting go process. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. exactly letting yeah. go. Letting go. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. And um, just for the audience, if they want to follow up on you and and see learn more about you, where would they? Where can they go to? Uh, well, my website is startteachingyoga.com, and. Uh, it's called startteachingyoga.com because I, I also coach people, young yoga teachers, how to get started teaching yoga. But you can also find some information about me and uh, some information about yoga in general. And I also have a blog where I write articles about yoga, about awareness in life and in yoga and in teaching yoga. Mm -hmm. I guess all those things are related anyway. And about healthy li living, uh, you know, healthy diet and all of that stuff. And uh, yeah, I guess that's the one way to well, thank get you. in contact with me. Thanks for having me. Thank it was great fun talking yeah. with you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Tom Richter. If you'd like to check out a little bit more about Tom Richter, then you can go to meditationfreedom.com slash 16 to go to the show notes and read some of the transcript. I can't do a full transcript, but I can sort of summarize what was discussed during the episode. And then at the bottom, I always keep the resources, which contain links to the websites that the guest talks about. So just go to meditationfreedom.com 16 in order to go to the links for the websites that he mentioned in this episode. Now, next week, I am planning to bring up an interview with, with Tanya de Jong, who is an Australian soprano entrepreneur and motivational speaker. But I'm not sure if I'll be able to do that successfully by Sunday because I'm going to a wedding and I may not have any internet connection where I'm going to be at. 
if that doesn't happen, then it might be skipped over a week and you may not hear another episode until the next weekend. Thanks for the feedback. And if you enjoyed this episode or if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. That's always uh, tremendously helpful and lets me know that you're listening and that you're finding it interesting. So thanks again for listening and I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us on the Meditation Freedom Podcast, where meditation meets daily life. Mm-hmm.